we're going to transition to our um, passage this morning. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there, we're going to see the surpassing value of knowing Christ. We'll read Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11 to get the full context of our passage this morning. And then we're going to focus on verses 7 and 8 for today. And I want you to evaluate the purpose of your life, which is to trust Christ, to know Christ, and to worship and value Christ above everything else. Let's begin in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and the glory and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In verses 5 and 6, Paul gives us the list of the things that he had once valued. Those were the things he had once placed his hope in, the things that he thought could save him. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church. He was found blameless, but after he placed his faith in Jesus Christ, Paul's perspective changed. Instead of placing his joy and confidence in his family heritage and in the temporary things of the world, the only thing he desired was to know Jesus Christ. That brings us to verses 7 and 8 where we're going to focus this morning. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul is saying there is nothing more valuable than knowing Jesus Christ. Why would he be so quick to give up everything else? When he came to Christ, he was faced with a shocking reality. When he was on the road to, the, to, the road to Damascus, and God literally 
spoke to him. He replied, my Lord? He thought he and God were on the same team. He realized that he still needed a savior despite looking outwardly perfect. He had placed his hope and salvation in himself prior to that. But the moment he was saved was the moment he was confronted that his resume, his past, had no value. Literally everything else in life was worth less than knowing Christ. It's his way of saying, why in the world would I waste any of my time, my money, my energy, my effort on anything else other than what that which is eternal? Why would he place any trust in his actions that could not save him in the first place? It's a radical change of heart, a new way of seeing what matters most. One of my favorite missionaries was Jim Elliott. His famous quote is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is what Paul is talking about. We lose as in stop valuing worthless temporary things to gain Christ. He found something so motivating, so life-changing, that it catapulted him into a life of service, sacrifice, and suffering. Not out of duty, but out of sheer love. And how did Paul now evaluate the things he once treasured? It says he counts them as rubbish. We use that word in Fiji. It's a, a British, it's a term used by the British frequently. Oh, throw it in the rubbish bin. The word rubbish literally means trash or dung. It's something that is not even worth consideration of being somewhat desirable. For Paul, there was no longing, no looking back like Lot's wife when they left Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember what happened to her? We remember because she turned into a pillar of salt. That's pretty weird. Um, one, but two, that sounds like harsh judgment that to just simply look back, she'd be turned into a pillar of salt. When God called them out of Sodom and Gomorrah, there was to be no longing for the things that lied behind. But unlike Lot's wife, Paul didn't look back. He viewed all of those things as worthless. He declares with resolve on his mind that those things are rubbish. Why? So that he may gain Christ. It's really interesting, the word loss here that Paul uses, it appears in two passages. The first time it appears, you might remember when he was shipwrecked. As they were in the process of being shipwrecked, the sailors had to toss the cargo out to try to preserve the ship and stay afloat. The second time he uses this word for losses here in this passage, it almost seems as though there's this concept of abandoning cargo in mind. In Fiji, boating is a part of everyday life. My wife and I got our captain's licenses. We are now boat captains. My wife has a boat license, but she doesn't have her own driver's license in Fiji. It's a different culture. Everybody at our local church knows someone who has either been lost at sea or who has drowned in the ocean. And if a sailor is caught in a storm, they will take the cargo from their ship 
and gladly throw it overboard. When they get to the shore, they do not mourn the things that they lost if they preserve their life. It's as simple as that. Paul has no mourning over the things that he lost. And it seems like he has two concepts. One is that his former life was like the cargo that needed to be thrown overboard in order for his own soul to be saved. But the second concept is similar to having a ship that is full of rocks. And imagine you're the captain, you own this ship and it's full of rocks and you come up to a port and there's someone standing there with a giant pile of diamonds. It's unimaginable and they offer you, they say, would you like these diamonds? They are yours for free. And how do you respond? No, thank you. I am set. My ship is full. That'd be absolute foolishness. You would dump those rocks in a second. What Paul is saying is that not only those things that he once trusted in for salvation, but now all things, everything else in life, that ship full of rocks, whatever you might try to carry with you, is worth far less than knowing Jesus Christ. Why would you hold on to these rocks when you are offered diamonds? I I think... To be frank, I think one of the dangers of how Satan and our flesh work here in America is that sometimes we get those two things confused. I think we can treasure things with one thought in mind, having no idea that if we had an accurate perspective of how God really views those things, that we are making that exchange that would seem so foolish. I want you to personally consider this for yourself. Have you counted everything loss? What motivates you when you wake up every morning? What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you love and where do you find your joy? What Paul desired was for the Philippians to value Christ above everything else so that knowing Christ was their highest priority. To know and to be known by God was worth giving up everything. And the word knowing here in the Greek, the word gnosis, which is a seeking to know, an inquiry, an investigation, it's the same concept as being compelled to find out about something or someone. And if you're in a relationship with someone, you want to listen to them. You want to talk to them. You want to know what they like. Know what they dislike, what they love, what they hate. And if you want to know Jesus Christ, there are actually four very practical ways that you may know him. You can read your Bible. You can actually hear the voice of God, not audibly, but through the words on the page to know what God is saying to you. And you speak to God through prayer. And it makes me wonder sometimes if we had an opportunity to speak to the king, our king, the most important one in the entire universe, why do we not pray without ceasing? The third way is through fellowship. You cannot expect to grow in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ if you isolate yourself from fellowship. God has given you the local church. He's given you Placerita as a blessing, as a means to know him. 
and then finally through evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism is ultimately about worship. Everything you're going to be seeing today with these missionaries, this is all about worship. It's showing honor to our Lord and Savior, lifting Jesus up for all to see. You are sharing Christ with others and helping them grow in maturity. But I want to point out there's a difference between knowing about Christ versus knowing Christ. There are many people that grew up in a church just like this. They might even do the four things that we just talked about. And they don't actually know Christ. Truly knowing Christ is valuing and worshiping him above all else. The rich young ruler met Jesus himself, but he did not know him as his savior. If there's an absence of a personal relationship and connection with the Lord, you might look to behavior modification to convince yourself that you're saved. You might change so that you look very, very similar to the person who is sitting next to you. I think that's one of the dangers of knowing as much as people in your church know. The purpose of knowing God, the reason we want to learn more about Jesus Christ is that we will grow in our love, which will or should transform the way we live. And to worship is to attribute worth to something. It's a reverent devotion and allegiance pledged to God. How do you know what you worship? You're going to worship whatever you deem to be valuable. You'll show honor to God. You'll thank him and find joy in him if you are worshiping him. You worship God when you show appreciation to him. It's having a heart of gratitude, gratefulness, and thanksgiving. And you will serve the one who you worship. What are you currently valuing most in life? What are your affections tied to? Do you have anchors to the things of this world? Or is there treasure in heaven? True worship is surrendering all of yourself to do everything to the glory of God. And Jesus lovingly confronted that rich young ruler, but it was not because of his wealth, it was because of his worship. It was because of idolatry. Wealth was what the rich young ruler worshiped. And unfortunately, that young ruler did not value Christ above all else. So what did he do? His countenance fell and he walked away. He'd already made a decision in his heart that he knew he was going to walk away with temporary wealth and forfeit his soul. But Paul did not. Paul turned and walked away from everything else, just like God calls all of us to do. So I want to ask you, are you prepared to lose everything that you have? Is there something that you're still holding on to that is keeping you from loving and worshiping Christ with all your heart? The sailors in the ship, they do not despise the cargo that they're throwing overboard, but they do value their lives. And in this sense, Paul is not a radical Christian. Paul is not a weird Christian. I mean, missionaries, yeah, we might be weird people. We could be socially awkward or whatever. Um, we've been on an island for two and a half years. 
But it's not abnormal. We are normal Christians. Paul was a normal Christian. To be a normal Christian is to abandon everything else as you count everything else as loss. So I just want to very plainly ask you, do you know Christ or do you just know a lot of things about him? Is Jesus Christ your greatest affection and your highest desire? Paul gave up everything to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. This is the point of our lives, to know Christ and to worship him, to be set apart to proclaim Christ with our words and deeds so that his name would be made great. And for all of you here today, this means you need to view yourself as a missionary. Do you realize that your life is just one continuous series of divine appointments? Every single person that you interact with, if you're going to the grocery store, if you're going to work, if you're picking up coffee, whatever it is, all of those meetings are divinely ordained by God. And someone that I used to appreciate, not only for his enormous hair, but for his um, worship music, Keith Green, he used to say, this generation of believers is responsible for this generation of souls. That's not, only, that's not just those of us that are on the foreign mission field, that's for all of you. But maybe there are some of you that could be in this room that God is calling to the mission field. God has a specific heart for those who are unreached, for those who are far away, for people from all places to know and love him. And you're all so well-fed spiritually. You've been a sponge for years, and maybe the Lord is calling you to pour out your life for the sake of others. But for many of you, it will be staying in the United States, being faithful at work, being involved in your local church here at PBC evangelizing in your neighborhood, starting a Bible study, making an intentional effort to share the gospel with every person that, he, that God places in your path. Maybe it's participating in short-term missions and partnering with some of the missionaries that you'll see today. And maybe for some of you, you're gonna serve the Lord in your home, you're gonna serve your family, and you will die to yourself a thousand different ways and nobody except for God will notice. The point is to walk with Christ, to know him and to serve him regardless of the season that you're in. Paul died to self because he lived for Christ. He took up his cross daily to follow Christ. His satisfaction and joy were not based on the fleeting pleasures of this world, but in the eternal riches found in Christ. And those who live for the temporary treasure of this world, they're never going to be happy because they worry about losing their treasure. And ultimately for them, death is a thief. But this isn't the case for us, not for the believer our treasure is in Christ, which can never be stolen, which can never lose value. For us, we have the opportunity to view death as a welcome friend who ushers us into the arms of our loving Savior. And this is the point of the sermon, and this is the point of our lives, that we would treasure Christ above all else, that we would count all else as loss, 
that we would see the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ and that we would worship Jesus Christ, our King. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we spend this morning considering what you are doing around the world, I pray that every single person here this morning would evaluate their lives, that they would prayerfully consider how you have called them to serve you. I pray that they would know you intimately, that they would value you above everything else, and that they would be sensitive to how you are guiding them, whether it's to serve on the mission field someday internationally, or if they are to stay and faithfully serve where you have placed them here in the United States. God, we love you, and we thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.